Okay, I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so the last two weeks I've been talking about the design for Scars of Mirrodin. So today I wanted to talk about some cards, and I thought I'd... I, I like uh, what I started doing with these things is I start telling the general stories, and then at some point I get to the cards, and I feel like while I explain stories of the cards, other stories come out. Um, and uh, any set in which I was in charge of, I have lots of stories, so I'm just going to start talking about stuff, and, and we'll, we'll go from there. Um, let's see. So I, I have a, a list of cards. Uh, Bloodshot Trainee. Uh, so one of the things that we always do is whenever we're doing a set... We always ask ourselves, is there a future shifted card that could make sense here? Um, because our one of the funds of Future Sight was kind of like glimpsing the future. And so we always take a look. You know, sometimes uh, not every set makes sense. But every once in a while we run into something, oh, oh, that could work. Uh, and the interesting thing, the Bloodshot Trainee would not at first blush see like this is the set it would be in. But what we learned is because of, in fact... And because of, of power mattering so much, we just had more effects that raised your power than normal. Plus, we were in Mirrodin, which meant we had more artifact equipment than normal. And so, it just was a world in which, like, you could make Bloodshot trainee work more often. Uh, and so, it ended up being a good fit. It's, it's kind of funny, because it's not... If I said, go, go, go look through Future Sight and find the, you know, Scars of Mirrodin card, I'm not sure that would be the, the obvious answer. Um... But sometimes it's fun to find things that aren't the obvious answer if they work well. And Bloodshot Trainee does. Um, okay. Uh, clone Shell. So Clone Shell was... So what had happened was we had done imprint during Mirrodin Block. Um, and uh, so in by the time we got to Fifth Dawn, um, there was a lot of thought of, like, we had done so much imprint, maybe we should not do any imprint in Fifth Dawn. And I was like, oh, no, 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 you, people will expect imprint. We have to have imprint. And then the compromise was, okay, we'll do one imprint card. So we say to the imprint crowd a little bit without, because we were, we were running out of stuff at the time, or, or there's just a lot going on. Um, and so Aaron Forsyth made a card. So Aaron Forsyth's first team was um, Fifth Dawn. That was Aaron's first team. In fact, that, when Aaron was hired to run the website, and he was on the, the, the Fifth Dawn team, because we were going to um, let him write an article. It would be real cool to give an inside view of what it's like. Uh, anyway, Aaron out worked, worked out real well, and when I get to the fifth dawn, I'll explain all that. Um, anyway, uh, he made a card, I, I think it was called Summoner's Egg. And what was unique about Summoner's Egg was it imprinted a card, but your opponent didn't know what the card was right away. And so it created some interesting gameplay. So Clone Shell was, was me taking that exact same technology from Summoner's Egg and just, you know, shifting a little bit. But the idea essentially was, I have a creature. When it dies, it might become a creature. Well, I, you know, if I, if I was lucky enough to get a creature, it'll definitely become a creature. But maybe I didn't, or maybe it's not that good a creature, you know. And so there's this neat thing of how dangerous is it? You don't know. It could turn into this giant monster. It could be a wimpy thing. It could be nothing. Um, and I, I like the gameplay a lot, and so Clone Shell came from... Uh, one of the reasons we brought Imprint back, I was very gung-ho on finding, you know, uh, trying to do some stuff that we had done less of last time with Imprint, and obviously we had done one card in Mirrodin Block with, uh, with unknown information, and so I, I was excited to play around with that a little more. 
Um, okay, Contagion Clasp and Contagion Engine. So, originally, back when Proliferate was pushed much more toward common, uh, it, there was a vertical cycle, and Clasp was the common originally, and it had uh, an ETB, an Enter the Battlefield effect, um, and it didn't, it wasn't repeatable, like, uh, it, I think the uncommon one was repeatable, um, but anyway, it, oh, no, I know what it did, it, it had an ETB effect, and then you could sack it, to, so it, it did it twice, you did it once when it came into play, and then you could sack it to do the second time, was the original version, and then when Proliferate, the development sort of pulled it out of common, um, or lessened it greatly a common, um, they ended up moving, combining the uncommon and the common together, because the uncommon had a repeatable class. And anyway, so that cycle turned into like a two-card cycle rather than a three-card cycle. Um, I don't know if we have a fancy name for a two-card cycle, but we, we do those from time to time, where there's like one non-rare, one rare, and the, and the rare is like the bigger version of the non-rare. Um, usually that's uncommon and uh, rare, although I guess we've done... Yeah, I guess it's usually uncommon rare. Okay, next... Uh, oh, the Manometer. Um, so, one of the things that we goofed around with um, was how to do our mana. One of the things we knew was access to colored mana in artifact form was important because we were making a lot more definitions of color this time rather than the last time we did Mirrodin, where there's a lot more of, oh, we well, want to use this. This requires access to color. And as I'll get to, there's definitely a lot of cards where we're like, we were like, well, it's usable, um, but you, it's maximi- maximized if you have the right color. Um, and so originally in the slot, we did not have the mirror. We had what we called the mocks. Uh, and I have to spell that for you because the, it's, a, it's a, not a visual pun, not an, not an audio pun. Uh, M-O-C-K-S. And what it was was um, we were doing um, like mocks, like, you know, mocks jet and stuff, uh, but they were more expensive um, I can't remember what we cost them at, but they were, they were, oh, I'm sorry, they were, what were, so they were, how did they work? They were, they were like mocks, I think they were zero cost artifacts that tapped for color, but there was some, what was it, there was, there was some quirk about them, because they, obviously they weren't, they weren't straight up mocks, um, and we were trying an alternate version of them, or did they cost, maybe they cost mana, they were straight up moxes, but they cost mana. I don't remember now. Um, but anyway, um, what happened was, uh, I'm not sure whether this happened late design, early development. The, the, uh, we were trying to make sure we got more repeat cards in, and we realized that having the, the man of mirror, having being creatures, had a bunch of nice things that, that, that helped with. And so, it, it was two birds, you know, one stone. Um, it got more, you know, mirroring cards, repeats in, and it just, it ended up playing, they played very well with the environment. That you know, they definitely allowed you to throw equipment on them, and they had some value beyond beyond just providing mana. Dark Steel Axe. Um, okay, so one of the things that we were trying to do was we liked the idea of presenting um, Mirrodin, but have create this feeling like Mirrodin has continued to evolve. Um, and so Dark Steel. So so originally in the file we'd actually repeated Bone Splitter. So what we had done was, uh, the design team early on sat down and said, okay, what cards do we want to see repeated from the Mirrodin block? And we made a long list of cards. Um, and Bone Splitter was one of them, but we started playing with it, and, and basically, like, Bone Splitter just was a little bit too good. When we made equipment before, um, 
and Mirrodin, we didn't quite realize, like, we didn't realize how good it was. I, I think that it's, if you look at Mirrodin, it's clear that we didn't quite truly understand how powerful equipment was. And, and most of it, or some of it was very undercosted. Uh, you know, I mean, Bone Splitter being one of them. So, um, what happened was, is we wanted to have Bone Splitter, but we couldn't have the actual Bone Splitter. And so we said, oh, was there a way to sort of evolve Bone Splitter? Um, and then we came up with the idea of, well, you know, dark steel was a big part of Mirrodin, the idea of this indestructible thing. It's like, oh, what if we cost more and make it indestructible? And that way it'll feel tougher and has a, it has a feel of evolution. Like, now the Bone Splitter's you know, indestructible. But it allowed us to get numbers to it that actually made it, from a play value, a little bit weaker than Bone Splitter so that we can print it. Um, but I, I always liked that, like, you, you sort of came back and that it felt like Mirrodin wasn't sitting still. Like, it evolved while, we were, while you weren't there. Okay, Drosshopper and Ferivore uh, and Furnace Celebration. So let me... Uh, uh, so there's a theme... I talked about this a little bit uh, last week or week before, which was um, we had a theme in black of sacrificing creatures, and all those were tagged with a Phyrexian watermark. Phyrexians love sacrificing creatures. Red had a, a theme of sacrificing artifacts, and that was a Mirrodin thing that Mirrodin had done back in the first, you know, in the first Mirrodin, uh, that Red liked sacrificing artifacts. And so what we did was we had this theme of black sacrificing uh, creatures and red sacrificing artifacts, and then we put a bunch of cards in that, that like, liked sacrificing things so that there was a black-red deck that you could draft. Um, Furnace Celebration is one of the few remnants of that because Furnace Celebration is like whenever something got sacked, you could pay two to shock something. Um, and originally we had more. I mean, the, the red-black sacrifice deck was, had, had more going on. Um, uh, I mean, one of the things that's in, that in general happens is in design, we try to put a lot of different layers of things in. And during development, sometimes usually something has to go. That there, you know, and I, I, that was the theme that, that went. Um, I'm a little sad. One of my personal um, frustrations with with Scars Mirror. I, I like Scars Mirror a lot, but one of my frustrations was it segmented you a little too much on the sides. That you, you we had woven a lot of things in the design to say, oh, well, here's why black plays with red, or why blue plays with white, or why, you know, like, we had done more to sort of crisscross things, and some of that, for, for different reasons, uh, got lessened, and I, I feel that the finished product, uh, it was harder to take elements of Mirrodin and mix it with elements of um, Phyrexia, and I wish that had been a little, that, that theme that we had put in the design it had stuck a little more. Okay, next, the spell bomb cycle. Oh, okay, so I was talking about this not too long ago. So the spell bomb cycle... Uh, was part of what? Well, so here's one of the goals that we have for artifacts in general, which is I like the fact that artifacts can be used by anybody. Um, but I also felt it was important, and one of the things I think Mirrodin sort of had issues with is you need to make sure that there's color in your artifacts, meaning that you're. I want to make sure that the color pie is used as a tool to safeguard the set, just like it always is. And so part of that is to say, okay, there's good artifacts, but if you're, you have to have some dedication to color to play some of them. Now, what I don't like is, I mean, we've done this a few times, but it's like, you could make an artifact that just requires blue to tap, you know? And, but then, then it's like, my problem with that is, well, then it kind of violates the essence of artifacts going anywhere, and it says, well, no, it's just a blue card, you know? And we do that every once in a while. Um, I, I'm not 100% against it if there's a, a good value for it, but... But I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of it because I feel like it violates kind of the essence of an artifact. And the essence of an artifact is, hey, I am 
useful to everybody. And so the spell bomb cycle was, we said, okay, we have an effect, we have a little thing, a trinket, you can do whatever, it does something, it's useful, but to maximize it, to really get the full value out of it, you need to have the right color, because if you have the right color, then you get to draw an extra card. And so it's like, well, the, you know, if you're drafting, you might take this card and you might play it if you're not in red. But, oh, if you're in red, wow, you're, you're much more inclined to want to take. And so it definitely allowed people dedicated certain colors, you know, to be able to play, um, to get certain artifacts later in the draft. So here are the police. That is not for me. Um, so you be happy to know I'm sitting in traffic. Um, I, I'm, when I go to work, I, I, there's two freeways I, I take, and this is the first freeway. And for some reason... There, see, the police just went by, which that's not like good things for, for me. Uh, but traffic for me is always good for you. Um, yes, I'm the one podcast where traffic means extra content. Okay, so the spell bombs, I, I, I liked, we tried a lot of different ways to sort of get the value across. Um, and in the end, I liked adding the card advantage came through the color that, that did a nice thing of making certain colors. Like, certain artifacts matter in more colors, and I... Anyway, I was very happy with how that worked. Next is Geth. So, it's funny. When we first mapped out the, um, the watermarks for the Phyrexians, we, we made a list. Uh, see if I remember this, because I talked about it the other week. So, if you had a Phyrexian, Phyrexian ability, if you had Proliferate or Infect, you got it. If you used minus one, minus one counters, you got it. If you had a death, a death trigger, you got it. Uh, if you um, sacrifice creatures, you got it. Those are all Phyrexian things. Um, and so the funny thing is we made this map out, and one of the, um, one of the editors came to me, and because and, and, we had outlaid what gets you a, a, a Phyrexian symbol. And so Geth didn't match anything we had laid out. Uh, and they said, they came to me and said, oh, we're not sure what to do. You know, he, he doesn't have proliferate. He doesn't have infect. He doesn't have, he doesn't use minus one, minus one counters. He doesn't sacrifice creatures. He doesn't have a death trigger. You know, he doesn't do anything that signifies he's supposed to get a, a friction watermark. And so I said, oh, I, I forgot one. There's one more rule. And they said, yeah, they go, uh, he gets a watermark, you know, friction watermark. If he's Phyrexian! <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, it's like, He's Phyrexian. He gets a Phyrexian watermark. Here, here. That's number six. So, I, I apologize when I yell. I know poor people listen to me. Uh, my voice is loud as it is, so uh, I know. <laughs> I get excited sometimes. See, if the people ask me, if, am I performing, you know, when I'm on camera, am, am I trying to be, like, uh, more energetic than normal? The answer is no. So if you ask people who actually know me, this is actually how I am. Um, I'm... Uh, like, I remember, for example, when I, I my big pitch tour was in that got me the show, got me on the show. Um, they asked me when I, I first entered if I wanted coffee. And at the end of it, they're like, we see why you didn't take coffee. You didn't need it. <laughs> so anyway, I have an energetic personality. That is who I am. Uh, next, Deliver Point Stag. Okay, so one of the tricky things about um, is we wanted to, there to be answers to infect in different ways. So one of the things about infect is you block the creatures and they slowly nibble down your creatures. And so one of the things we wanted to do is figure out some ways to help to help heal you know, the infected creatures in a way. Um, and so one of the ways we came up with... So uh, it's no secret. I am a giant fan of flickering. I love flickering. Love, 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 love flickering. 
Um, and the reason, one of the reasons I like it is I consider it to be like a Swiss Army knife. Like, there's so many things you can do with flickering. There's just so many... It's just one of those things that... I mean, I'm a Johnny, right? So, there's so many... Like, just having a flicker in your hand, you're like, oh, so many possibilities! You know, it's just that kind of card that, like... You know, whenever I draw a flicker effect, I'm like, oh, okay, what can I do? Like, I just start getting excited, because there's so many different possibilities. And then there's so many neat tricks you can do. But anyway, the reason we use it here was... Beyond the normal tricks, you still, you still could redo ETB effects and this and that... Um, but it, I felt like it, it did this neat thing where it helped with um, Mirrodin. Like it was a, it ended up being this neat Mirrodin helper that was very subtly a Mirrodin helper. And here's how: for starters, if your creatures had been infected and had minus one minus counters, it cleared them off it. You know, if, if my four four is now one one, I flicker it now becomes a four four again. Also, it helps with ETB effects, into the battlefield effects, but. And so the battlefield effects were defined as Mirrodin things, because death triggers were defined as Frexian. So it worked really well with Mirrodin, and didn't work as well with Frexian. So it's one of those things that just, I realized that the flicker effect, like, not that the, oh, also, it also reset charge counters, because what happened was, um, uh, Mirrodin had all, the, all these artifacts that, like, you would use up their counters, while flickering allowed you to reset them, um, and the other thing we, we did, by the way, is we didn't have things that had a use, that had charge counters, we didn't sacrifice them when you had no counters left. Because we know, because of metalcraft and, and sacrificing artifacts and different things, that there was value in having the shell left. Um, so that also allowed this card to have some fun and, and sort of reset things that had gotten down to the nub and, and, and you could get them back. Um, and there's a big fight about that, because usually when you use something up, we want to make it go away, because we want, we want to clear off the battlefield. Like, it was not doing any function, but we felt like there was enough function here that um, we should keep it around. Okay. Um, Glimmer Post. So, one of the things that's fun is, most of the time when we think about magic, our, our main focus is standard. That, that is where, I mean, but, but we do also think about larger formats. And so, one thing that's fun sometimes is to say, okay, like we knew... Um, I knew, I mean, at the time, I don't think Modern existed yet, but I think Extended existed, um, that I knew there would be a format where you could play the original Mirrodin and Scar's Mirrodin together. And I was just very excited with the idea of having another Locus um, that we had done. Um, what's the original one called? Uh, see, this is where my, my inability to get names off the top of my head causes problems. Um, there was a card in... Okay, you, all, you all yelling yelling at your... Uh, allowed right now. Um, there was a card in Mirrodin that you could tap and you got the amount of mana equal to the number of loci you had. Um, and it had post in it. Uh, ah, okay, I'm not going to remember it. It'll come maybe later on. Like, oh, it's so so um, Anyway, I, we wanted to have another loci so that you could play together. This one was made to be a little weaker because the other one was um, like defining like large environments with lots of cards. Um, but we'd like to have another loci, and I thought it'd be kind of fun. We knew it wasn't going to be a standard issue. It would just be an issue for larger formats. Okay, more police. Something is going on up here. Uh, and I'm sitting in traffic, so... Luckily, I have a long list of cards to talk about. Okay, next, Golem Foundry. Golem Foundry. Golem, fo- Golem Foundry. Yeah, that's hard to say. Um, so that card in playtest was called Robot Factory... Um, and the reason I made it was that, um, we were trying to make artifacts have a range of how many artifacts you wanted to play, and that I wanted to make sure that 
every Artifact Matter card didn't make you play lots of artifacts, but I wanted a few cards that really said, hey, you know, you really kind of want to have some artifacts, and that, that, that you wanted some decks were like, hey, this deck really wants you playing a lot of artifacts. And so, um, Goblin Foundry was, was made for that purpose of saying, okay, hey, um, you know, we... It, one of the strategies could be drafting a lot of artifacts, and then you had a card that really kind of rewarded you if you had enough artifacts. But I, I was trying not to make that a, a requirement. What happened in Mirrodin, original Mirrodin, was we pushed that a little too hard. It was kind of like, you know, if you committed to the artifacts, well, you really had to commit to artifacts. And we wanted to make sure that you didn't always have to do that. But I wanted a little of that. There, there were people that go, I'm going to draft every artifact I see. You know, I want a deck full of artifacts. And I wanted to have a few cards that helped them, and Gollum Fondue was one of those. Um, but, uh... It is funny, by the way, that Goblin Factory is one of those where sometimes I get used to a name just because it tickles my fancy, and Robot Factory was fun for me, and it's one of the things, whenever someone says Gollum Foundry, I'm like, oh, 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 oh Robot Factory. Like, I, my brain is just like, like kind of like Chainsaw, uh, Trepanation Blade in, in Innistrad, where it was Chainsaw for all of design, uh, well, actually, we changed it in design to try to get a name that would stick, uh, that wasn't, couldn't be, cha- couldn't be called Chainsaw. Um, anyway, that... That's an industry thing. Although I already had my industry podcast. I'm sure I talked about it during my industry podcast. Okay, next. Grind Clock. So Grind Clock is an interesting card. Um, so one of the things we knew... Um, once we knew that, that Proliferate was going to be a major part of the set, um, I was very gung-ho of playing around a lot with the, the charge counters. And so one of the things that I, I always have fun with is trying to figure out how to make things function a little differently. Um, and so the charge counter issue was, I liked the idea that I had a card in which I had to figure out the value of the charge counters. So grind clock, for those who don't, don't remember, is you could tap to put a charge counter on it, or you could tap it to mill your opponent equal to the number of charge counters on it. And so the thing that I thought was a lot of fun is, like, well, what's the right strategy here? You know, how, how many turns do I, I take to build it up versus how many t- turns do I use it? You know, and that the the more it builds it up, the better it is once I use it. And there's a nice, um, it's, it's one of the cards that I call a, a math card, which means that you say to a player, because there are different kind of, of magic players, and um, some players really, really enjoy having a card and just like, uh, so min-maxing is a term that we talk about um, I think it comes from role-playing. Role the idea is trying to take every advantage you have uh, and, and get the most benefit out of it. So, for example, when we talk about min-maxing role-playing, it's like building your character such that you are getting the most out of what you have available to you. Uh, and then in gaming, we, we use a term to mean somebody who just try to squeeze all the advantage they can out of the things they have. And spikes, in general, are min-maxers because part of sort of proving dominance and... and and showing what you're capable of doing is figuring out how to take a card and getting the most you can out of it. Okay, we, I've now passed the accident, so now I'm traveling again. Um, so, um, Grind Clock to me is, is a math card. It's a min-max card, which is like, uh, it's an interesting decision. And like, I like to make some of these cards. I, 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 every player, there's all these different kinds of players exist. You want to make sure each kind of these players get a card. And this is a fun min-max card because it's, and the interesting thing is, it's not always the, what the correct call is varies based on different factors. For example, how many cards your opponent has in their library is very important. So if you get this out early game versus getting out late game, the actual decision is a different decision. It's not, it's not always the same thing you need to do. Um, 
plus because there's men involved. I mean, there's other factors, but but I, I kind of like the, the the decision making that it made it have. So, grasp of darkness. So this card originally started as uh, I think it was called Black Lightning, uh, and it was B. Originally, it was B instant. Target creature gets minus three, minus three, it'll end a turn. Uh, and the idea was it was kind of like a lightning bolt. I mean, it couldn't hit players, so it was, it was strictly worse than lightning bolt. But, uh, or not strictly worse, because it's minus one, minus one. Uh, and, and then what happened was it just ended up being too good. And so in development, um, it got toned down uh, so that it, it had value. And it, it, I think what they wanted was they didn't mind the heavy, dedicated black deck having it. But it was a little too splashable, a little too easy to use, and I mean a little too powerful. Um, but anyway, I, I always liked Black Lightning. Uh, which, which, by the way, for those who don't know, is also a superhero in the DC universe. Um, a little a little trivia for you listening to my show. Uh, next is Icarats. Okay, so Icarats was interesting. So the thing about Icarats was um, we were trying to... Um, so I knew I wanted most of Poison to be damaged. That I, You had to have creatures and they damaged you. Um, but I, I liked the idea that there was one way. And, and, and one way. I did not want to make this something um, easy to do. But there was one way to be able to get the first point without hitting your opponent. Um, just because I knew Proliferate existed, and I thought it might be neat to have a deck that's just a little tiny bit different, where I can get that first point, um, and then I can sort of proliferate it out. And so Inker Rats had a lot of flavor, the idea of kind of like they'd spread disease, and so the mere presence kind of poisoned you a little bit. Um, it's interesting. I mean, it definitely is one of the things where um, it, it, it's us showing some restraint. Because I know whenever I talk poison, there's a lot of players like, oh, just give me a spell to give my opponent poison. And I'm like, well, no, no, I want the interactivity. I, I definitely want... The thing I like about most poison being on creatures is there's interactivity to it. That if I just had to cast spells and poison you, what, 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 well, I stall until I get the spells and I hit you. It's not nearly as interactive. Um, and having the creatures requires... Like, one of the things about... Uh, in, in fact, being on creatures is your opponent always has some answers because they have creatures, you know. And we purposely made the poison creatures, uh, I'm with one or two exceptions, to uh, be fragile, meaning that most of the time when you got in a fight with a Frexian creature, it might do damage to you, but there's a good chance you could kill it. I mean, more, the uncommon ones could kill a little larger, but like the common ones usually, usually, there's exceptions, had one toughness, meaning if you could fight this thing, odds are you could kill it. Now, it'll probably kill you, or if it doesn't kill you, at least it, it permanently damages you. Um, but, you know, by making infect beyond creatures, and you had answers. Icarat was my one. I'm like, well, we'll play around a little bit, you know. And I, I wanted there to be a black-blue proliferate deck where you sort of just, you know, taint them a little bit and then get them. Um, and, and Icarat's was kind of fulfilling that role. Liquid, liquid Metal Coating. Uh, so, there's a couple things in the set that I would go back and change. Um, I know there's people that heartily disagree with me on this one, but uh, I don't like the fact that this turns enchantments into artifacts. I understand uh, the Melvin quality of it's neat to have all the ways to turn things into other things, but the I guess the Vorthos wins out on this one, which is, why am I turning this intangible thing into a tangible thing? Like, like I, I, I get, I get art, taking land or taking creatures. I, I get turning those into artifacts. I can see that, but I don't... One, I, I don't see the flavor of enchantments becoming artifacts. I don't get that. Um, and, and the second thing is 
that it gave Red this really easy way to destroy enchantments that really wasn't the goal of the card and kind of really was not what I mean like obviously players will players will take the cards and use them in ways that are beneficial and I don't I don't begrudge the players that I kind of begrudge us not seeing this ahead of time because the it was not supposed to say oh you know Red which I mean Red has artifact destruction so having a card that turns things into artifacts and having artifact destruction that's a fine combo for Red to have even if enchantments don't show up and the fact that now Red has this, this much easier than normal answer for enchantments eh, does not make me happy um, so I, like I said, on a couple levels, I was not super happy with that card. I mean, it was, it was very popular, but, um, so next is Lex Cannon. So Lex Cannon, I believe, I think his playtest name was Killing Machine. Um, and the idea was you just could build up and you destroy anything. Um, in general, creative, I thought, did an awesome, awesome, awesome job. And so what I'm about to say really is, is, is I'm not trying to dig at creative other than I, this is the one, the one card where... I, I, I wanted this over-the-top name-like killing machine, and Lux Cannon was a little underwhelming. Like I said, uh, creative knocked this thing out of the box, so I, I'm really picking on a one tiny little thing that I just... I was hoping for a little more badass named Lux Cannon um, for something that just kills anything. So, But once again, you know, j- just as, as uh, a Trepanation Blade is Chainsaw, this card will always be killing machine to me. Memnite... Um, okay, so we figured out that we could do a zero one one, um, which is one of those it's one of those things that seems more dangerous than it really is. I know that a lot of players are like, um, uh, whenever you get something for nothing, uh, you know. It, in, in fact, it's a funny. I'll tell you a funny story. So um, Richard Garfield. Um, was talking to someone that we were thinking of making a game for. Um, and they made the comment about how, well, just don't break it like you broke magic. And Richard was like, oh, like Moxes or something? And, and the guy's like, you know, uh, like or- Ornithopter. That was an example of how Richard broke magic. And like, Ornithopter? Ornithopter? You know. Uh, and if you notice there, in, in Alliances, there's a 0-3 uh, in the flavor text for it. Is, is, is making fun of this of something about how you know you can't stop the horrible things you know it'll destroy us all uh, and it's like a zero a zero zero three um, and we figured out that you can do a zero zero three you can do a zero one one and we kind of known this we said okay but artifacts that that's the place to do this um, and we went back and forth um, we for a while we were talking about it being common and then uh, they were worried that. That there was a draft strategy that could get a little degenerate, um, and you know we didn't like in in normal constructed you can only have four of them in your deck, um, but the if they were common, in fact somebody did this where they just everyone they saw they drafted, you know, and in three packs you know, they were able to get uh, I don't know twelve thirteen of them, and they just mulliganed until they got a hand of four or five of them, and then just attacked and, and it's not even that that necessarily was it won a great percentage of the time but it won enough that it was just kind of annoying and we decided that okay let's just make it uncommon it's kind of a sexy uncommon anyway people be excited you know it, it's we don't often make a zero drop one one so we felt like it made sense it made sense in uncommon so it got moved up um mimic that so so 
uh, one of the things we did when we looked at uh, uh, when we uh, I wonder how uh, so this gets transcribed so Natasha transcribes this and so whenever I, I, I make sounds I always wonder if she transcribes the sound so like oh, okay Natasha <laughs> by the way I, I'm very very thankful that Natasha transcribes this uh, this podcast um, one of the things that's hilarious to me is that this podcast is really, really made as an oral, as an oral thing that I'm talking and I'm telling stories, and that when you listen to me, it makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because when it gets transcribed, she writes down everything, and so I, I, which is awful, a wonderful service. There's a lot of people either that can't hear or that don't have the time to go listen to a podcast, and I'm, I'm very happy that she transcribes it. But um, it, it is just. It's funny reading me talking, you know, because I talk in half sentences and I jump around and, and when you listen to me, it kind of makes sense, but when you read it, I, I just think I, I come across a, li- a little crazier than I am. Not, not that I'm not crazy, but anyway, so. <laughs> okay, back to, uh, <laughs> back to, uh, Scar's Mirror. Uh, Mimivat. So, um, uh, when we did, uh, imprint in Mirrodin, um, we, uh, tried a bunch of different things, and I'll be honest, I think some things were more successful than others. Um, the big successes, I think, were, um, uh, of the imprint was Clone Foundry and, um, Isochron Scepter, uh, and the one, uh, there's one more that copied, the ones that copied things were very successful, um, and that, um, I, 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 we definitely wanted to do some more copying. Um, but one of the things I realized was um, that it might be fun if you had a card that there was copying, but you had less control over the copy. Um, and the idea was, okay, well, what if, you know, my idea was, what if I had some random, randomizer or, or somewhat randomizer that kept changing what it was? And then I came up with the idea of oh, it dies. So every time it dies, whatever, the, whatever has died gets imprinted on it. And so, if you want if you want something to imprint, you could do that, but then your opponent could like go can kill something, and then they could change it. Um, and I thought it was neat because one of the things in general about imprint stuff was um, it is fun to imprint things, and I like the different choices. But I thought it was also neat to play around where uh, when you imprint it, it wasn't always the same thing wasn't happening. That imprint cards could change value over time; they would be doing different things. Uh, and so, mimic that was me goofing around in that area. Like I said, we, we didn't do tons of imprint. My, my guideline was, just do enough imprint that it, um, it hits... Like, let's do the interesting imprint. We don't need to do tons of imprints. Let's just pick the cool stuff and do that. Uh, and Mimic Valley, I, I like Mimic Valley a lot. I, I think it is, it is one of those cards that just has lots of fun play value. Um, and like I said, it's, once again, it's very Johnny-ish in my mind. I mean, not that Spike can't enjoy it, but... Uh, and not that Timmy can't enjoy it, but, but it has a lot of this quality of trying to figure out... like. One of the things about Johnny is I think people focus on Johnny um, in the deck building. You know, everyone thinks about Johnny in the deck building part. I go, oh, well, Johnny really enjoys making fun decks and making weird things happen. But another thing about Johnny's is that Johnny's enjoy being in the middle of the game and getting presented with options and then figuring out what to do on the fly. Like, it's fun to pre-plan things, but it's also fun to sort of, you know, uh, to, to have your your... Your improvisational Johnny moment, where like making decisions on the go. Like Johnny's like to be clever, not just in 
ahead of time, but also in the middle of the game. And like earlier, I talked about how Johnny's tend to like flickering because there's just so many things you can do with flickering. Um, and I feel like um, that there's a lot of that, that having things that create variance in the game allow Johnny to kind of on the fly come up with fun things to do. Uh, and and Mimic Vag is definitely one of those kind of cards where the, the Johnny in me is just like, oh, there's, there's always neat things that can happen and things come up I never would have anticipated because I, I didn't pr- prepare for it. Like, there's definitely times where something dies and, oh, I never would have thought to want to copy that, but in this situation, I do want to copy that. And So anyway, Mimic Vag definitely... Um, Excites my Johnny if that doesn't sound, doesn't sound bad. Uh, uh, stirs the Johnny within me. Is, that might still sound bad. Um, anyway, I, uh, there's no way, there's just no way me making the statement that somehow doesn't sound, uh, questionable. So let's just say that I like Mimic Fad. Okay, the next card. Mind Slaver! Slaver of Mind. Uh, I, I will try to keep singing in my podcast out in a minimum. Um, so, um, what happened was, Mind Flavor originally was going to be in Tempest. Uh, in fact, Helm of Volrath was scheduled to be Mind Flavor. Um, but at the time, the rules people were nervous. Uh, and there was the Mana Burn issue, although we ended up just saying whatever, and now it's gone, so it doesn't matter. But, um, but anyway, we, we didn't do it. The, the rules, team, rules team got nervous and didn't know how to let you take control of your opponent, so we pushed it off. And then when Mirrodin happened, I said, oh, this is an awesome card. I was, looking, I was looking for just out there artifacts that were cool and did some different things. And I remembered, I remembered um, Mind Slaver. I said, oh, Mind Slaver is awesome. You know, we, I should do Mind Slaver. And, and this time, the rules people said, yeah, we can do it. So that was great. Um, but one of the things about Mind Slaver is that the thing I love about Mind Slaver is it's what I call a story card. And what that means is when you play the card, you make stories. You know, that it's the kind of card, like... I'm sure if you could record every magic conversation, that there's a good number of conversations to start with. So I played Mind Slaver, you know, um, and, and like it just leads to neat, interesting situations. In fact, it, it, it creates a lot of what I call puzzle moments, where you're like, okay, like, like one of my magic the puzzling, like, okay, what do I do? And taking over your opponent's turn and trying to just sabotage him for a turn, it's fun. There's a lot of neat things that happen there. Now the problem is, is that it's, it's pretty violating that for the guy doing it, it is fun. But for the guy being done against it, um, it is fun the first couple times it happens because it's novel. But then eventually you're like, oh, not again. And so Mind Slaver got in this weird place where it was uh, what I call beloved and behated. Yes, I, I invented the word behated. So uh, trademarked uh, behated. Um, it, it, is, it is a card that evokes strong emotions out of people. Some people really like it. Some people really hate it. And so when we made a list of cards to bring back, I put Mind Slaver on it. I said that Mind Slaver is like an iconic card. It's, it's cool. It's fun. It makes stories. And then other pl- people were like, it's one of the most unfun cards of all time. And so we, we had this fight back and forth because it is this card that like, Create strong, strong feelings. It is, it is loved by some and is hated by others. And so we went back and forth. For a while, we were talking about doing a variant of it that exiled itself, which would answer that problem. Because the most, the biggest problem with it is when it gets recursed. Um, that's one thing that I find lose a turn. It's another thing we can lose every turn. And so we were going to redo a version of it and change it a little bit, change the numbers and, and add in the exile, you know, that it, it removes itself so that it, doesn't cause that problem. Um, 
But we went back and forth. In the end, I guess it was decided that it was pretty nostalgic and it felt very much like Mirrodin. And the thought was we were a little bit low on repeat Mirrodin cards. And it was really high profile. And so we decided to bring it back. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's all my flavor ended up in the set for, for those that, that love or behave it. Um, anyway, I'm now at work. And um, I look at my list. I am like halfway through the list I had made. So you know what that means? Yes. Four-parter. So I will do, uh, next week I will do the fourth part. I've never done a fourth-parter. So you guys will be here for the very first four-parter. Well, I guess I've done my lessons learned. So I've done meta-series to get up to four parts, but I've never done a a review of a set that's gotten up to four parts. But you know what? You guys seem to like this review of the set, so I'm willing to talk about this as long as I have material to talk about. So anyway, next week join me. We'll talk more about card stories. Uh, But now, uh, ooh, I'm late. Because uh, my traffic. So a little extra a little extra podcast for you today. Uh, but anyway, it's time for me to go. Because i got to go make the magic. <laughs>